Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy this sermon podcast. Greetings to all. Jesus is enough. It is so good to be here with you today gathered around God's word again as we continue our series in the book of Ephesians titled In Him. And the title of today's message is The Fullness of God. And we're going to be in Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 21. I'm reading out of the ESV translation. You can follow along with me. Start in verse 14, Ephesians 3. For this reason, Paul writes, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow. Now that is fresh air. That is gospel fresh air. Let's just breathe this text in today. As we dive into it, we're going to look at it verse by verse. Um, Honestly, this is one of my favorite texts in Paul's epistles, and it's been a source of immense encouragement to me and a guide for me to know how to pray for my family, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and the church. So we're just going to, like I said, we're going to go verse by verse and just take a look at this text today and unpack it. You know, scripture is like, sometimes think of it like a suitcase, you know, which is full, you, you have to open it up and then you start pulling things out and unpacking it to see what's inside. And in some ways, as a teacher, I often feel like I have this big secret to share as I studied this text this week and sort of renewed myself in this. Um, I'm just so excited to, to bring the bread of life that's in this text to you today. Back to verse 14. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So this is a prayer. Another prayer. This is uh, the second prayer that Paul publishes here in the book of Ephesians. Paul's first prayer was published in chapter one, and I actually did a message on that uh, last month. Paul writes in chapter one, just to remind you of his prayer there, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Aren't you glad that Paul published these prayers. It's like he published his prayer journal. He published the details of what he's praying for the believers in Ephesus here. And it's just such an inspiration and a wisdom guide for us to know what ought to be important in our hearts and minds as we go before the Lord. Remember, Paul was single. So these church relationships he had were his family. So in these prayers, we don't find, you know, formal religious performances but we find deep, heartfelt prayers by a spiritual father for his spiritual children. 
So let's break down the prayer here. Verse 15, he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So to rightly understand what he's saying here, this is not the modern, you know, sort of humanistic, we are all God's children, insert, which can result in universalism, the, the idea that everyone is saved and going to heaven. But this is actually an appeal to the reality that everything and everyone in this world has their origin in God. Everything we are, everything we have is from God. And another apostle, James, um, affirms this idea in his letter when he writes in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from God coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So think about that. Every thing that you enjoy, every person you know, and what you like about them, it's all from God. Even people who don't give glory to, to God for their gifts, for their talents, or for, for their blessings, they are from God nevertheless. And we, that's why we teach our children to let everything roll up into worship. You know, you, my, my uh, kids, a couple of my kids, like the Marvel movies. You might even say that they're Marvel nerds. And as we watch this movie, it's like, isn't it amazing that God gave people the imagination to come up with something like this and the technical skills and the creative skills and the artistic skills to come up with something like this, the actors and the personalities that you love in this, it's all from God. So let it all roll up into worship as we give glory to God for what you're enjoying here in this experience. He says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This also speaks to the dignity of all people. In some ways, racism dies in this verse. Every family, every tribe, every ethnicity, every person has their origin in God. We have a common father in the creation sense. So on one hand, where we ought to not use this verse to suggest that everyone is saved, we need to believe in the Lord Jesus we should use this verse to show our common value and dignity and embrace the reality that we have much more in common, regardless of race, gender, or ideology, than we have differences. Verse 16, let's go on. Paul says that he prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And the word power there is the Greek word dunamis. And we get our English word dynamite from that word dunamis. And so what is he saying? That the power of the Holy Spirit that he's praying for is the equivalent of spiritual dynamite in the heart. You know, not long ago, my family and I were traveling through Southern Pennsylvania. Uh, and we noticed that to make a pathway for this highway that we were on, they blasted out this massive trench through mountainous rock. It was pretty impressive to see the, the degree to which they had to go to, to carve out this, this road through this, you know, this rock mountain. It was incredible to think about the power that it would take to do that. That's dunamis. That's the spiritual dynamite that Paul is talking about. The power of the spirit is like that. It has a potential of blasting out a pathway for you through the mountain that stands in your way through the resistance that we have in our heart. God blasts away through Christ. He blasts away by his power to sanctify us and change us and make us more like Jesus and give us spiritual power to do his will. So the gospel, therefore, doesn't simply say, do better, try harder. There's spiritual power available to us 
to do what we are called to do and become who we are called to become. So we don't just need to cowboy up. We need dunamis. We need spiritual power. And Paul's praying for that. This world is full of trouble and Paul knows that. So he's not begging for God to change their circumstances. He's asking for God to change them and give them dunamis in the circumstances and the context that they live in to be what they're called to be and do what they're called to do. It reminds me of the quote by Andrew Jackson, who said, ask not for lighter burdens, ask for stronger backs. And for the Christian, there is a well available for us, a well of life, a well of power that we can tap into and find the spiritual energy, find the spiritual strength to obey God and serve God and walk with God and be transformed and changed into his image. And yet oftentimes we don't tap into that, do we? We don't tap into that spiritual power. We depend on our own strength, our own energy. You know, a man may be the richest man on earth, but if he gets lost in the woods, he loses all access to his resources that might keep him safe, warm, and healthy. In the same way, sometimes we get lost in the woods of doubt or lost in the woods of fear or lost in the woods of temptation in the inner man. What do we need? We need dunamis. We need spiritual dynamite. We need power. How do we get it? God says this, we have not. He says, you have not because you ask not. So do you see how God has arranged for us to tap into this dunamis, this spiritual power? It's available, but he wants us to acknowledge him and to reach for it. He wants us to posture ourselves in a place of dependence on him. And Paul is praying for this power to work in the believers in Ephesus. And he's demonstrating his own dependence by getting on his knees and asking the father to do it. On to verse 17. He says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. There's two parts here to his prayer in this verse. He says, first of all, that Christ would dwell in your heart, in our hearts through faith. Now, you might say, hold up. This strikes me as a little theologically odd um, because these are Christians he's talking to. We know that from the context of the book. And I thought that Christ already dwelt in the hearts of believers. So why here is Paul praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith when he already dwelt in their hearts through faith? What's going on here? Well, the word dwell that Paul uses here is a stronger word than he normally uses. This word means that God may take up residence and establish himself in their hearts. So let's insert that in the, in the verse. I'm praying that God would take up residence in you and would establish himself in this residence of you through faith. That's the idea. And to illustrate this, I'm going to share a story that I heard actually teacher, author, pastor D.A. Carson share when he was teaching on this verse. He tells a story of when he bought <clears throat> an old 900 square foot fixer upper flat that he and his wife started fixing up. Now, when they moved in, there was black and silver wallpaper, dung, dog dung on the floor, uh, urine, uh, the, the electrical system and the plumbing needed to be replaced. It was a real project. And by the time he was done, there was nothing in that house that his hand had not touched. And Carson says this relates to our faith. He says this, when Christ moves in and dwells in our hearts, 
he discovers that we're the people of the black and silver wallpaper. We're the people of the dog poo. We're the people of the urine and the lousy plumbing and the obsolete electrical work. And he takes up residence and he's going to make it his. He says, I'm going to make you mine. I'm going to dwell in you. I'm going to establish myself as I take up residence in your heart. So yes, we've received Christ. Yes, we have the spirit of Christ. And yet there is this process of him establishing himself in our hearts. And that's what Paul's praying for. So I pray, Paul says, that God would strengthen you with power, dunamis, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Okay, that's what we've got so far. Then he says, I pray that you'd be rooted and grounded in love. And I love this. This is so important. Paul likens God's love to soil. God is showing us right here how and where things grow in his kingdom. Where do things grow in the kingdom of God? Where's the soil of the kingdom of God? Paul says, it's love that we be rooted and grounded in his love. And let me say it this way. You cannot grow as a Christian outside of God's love. Yes, you can improve your behavior. Yes, you can do some good works. Yes, you can be spiritually disciplined, but you will never grow into spiritual maturity unless it's in the soil of God's love because that's where stuff grows. And we, we have a picture of that, uh, of, of, of you know, soil with, with fruitfulness coming out of that soil. That's a picture of the kingdom of God and that soil is the love of Christ. You know, a while back, I was struggling with my spiritual disciplines. You know, prayer, reading, Bible reading, fasting. And I remember one day I was praying and I said to God, okay, what, what do you want from me? What, what pleases you? I want to please you. Am I disciplined enough? Am I reading enough? Am I praying enough? Am I, you know, am I, am I doing enough? And as I thought about the gospel, I believe the Holy Spirit whispered to my heart, here's what I want from you. I want you to be loved. I want you to receive my love. And I realized, ah, that is the most important discipline of the Christian life. More important than Bible reading, more important than prayer and fasting. Matter of fact, I'll say it this way. Prayer, Bible reading, fasting are like roads that are supposed to lead us to the soil. It's supposed to lead us to the love of God. And if, if our spiritual disciplines don't lead us to faith in Christ and, and the love of God, then our, our disciplines are dead works. And so we have to come to this place every single day where I have to wake up and be loved. I have to receive the love of God and walk in the, the, the sunshine of that and that's how I grow. That's how I become a confident person. That's how I become a secure person. That's how I grow in my faith and in my walk with Christ and become more like him. You know, I have this little thing uh, on my mirror. Three things greet me every morning on my mirror. I saw it just this morning. Number one, I will arise and go to my father. That's a picture of grace. I need to come to my father every day like, like the prodigal came to his father and the father embraced him and kissed him. I need to go to that love of the father. Number two, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I need to let the word of God be wisdom for me today and walk in the wisdom of God's word. And number three, make the most of your time for the days 
are evil, the Bible says. Those three scriptures are great uh, scriptures, gospel principles that we should come to every single day, but starting with the love of God in Christ. I must start my day in the soil of God's love and let the, let the sunshine of, of God's grace shine on me because I'm complete in Christ. You see, and when I begin that way, when I begin in the love of God, and I realize that the one who knows me the best loves me the most. The one who knows you the best loves you the most. When you begin with that, it actually demotes everything else around us. Right? I, I'm no longer a slave to having to manage the opinions of others in my life at work or school or on my team. You know, if, if I have the one opinion that matters most in my favor already, the, the love of God, then I can go into the world as a complete person and go, I, nothing today is going to complete me. I begin as a complete person. So I can w- walk out into any context that I have to live in today as a complete person. I don't need anything from this world to complete me. That is a powerful person. That is a dangerous person for Christ because now I don't need to uh, bow or cower to anything in this world as if I need to obtain it to complete me. I'm completing Christ. I have the love of God in Christ. My sins are forgiven. The one who knows me best loves me the most. Not being in this soil of God's love is what keeps people immature in Christ. So I want you to think about this for a moment. The maturity of a Christian actually doesn't merely depend on age. Now, of course, age can have something to do with it because the more we live life, the more experience we have, the more likelihood that we grow in God's love, grow in God's grace. But what what actually is the thing that's important for spiritual maturity is the digestion of spiritual truth. It depends on whether or not you believe in the love of God in Christ and plant yourself in that soil. And this is how you can have people who've been walking with the Lord for 30 years who are still babes in Christ, never planted themselves in the love of God because legalism keeps people immature, weak, insecure, because you never know if you did enough. And if you did do enough, like the person you know on the stage, on the, in the theater who, gets a standing ovation and they walk off the stage and everybody sits down and walks out of the room and they realize, I've got to do it again tomorrow. That's not planting yourself in the love of God. That's planting yourself in your performance. But to plant yourself in the love of God, that's where we grow in maturity. That's where we grow in strength. That's where we grow in security because we know it's not about me doing enough. It's about the fact that Jesus did enough. So Paul says, I'm praying that you'd be rooted and grounded in love. I want you to grow. I want you to grow in maturity and strength and confidence. And then verse 18, he goes on with his prayer. He says, I pray that you'd have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. I I wanna focus in on that phrase, strength to comprehend, that you'd have power to comprehend. That tells us something amazing about the gospel and what we actually need to perceive it, to see it, to grasp it, and to grow in it. It's verses like this that show us our need for spiritual power to understand the gospel and the love of God that I was just talking about. So on one hand, this should give us mercy for other people. You think about it. It should motivate us to pray. People, the Bible says, are spiritually dead. You remember the message that Pastor Josh did from Ephesians 2 on how we're alive in Christ and how before grace, we are spiritually dead. So 
People are spiritually dead. People are weak. People can't see God. People can't want God. People need power to comprehend. So pray that for your children. Pray that for your friends. Pray that for not yet Christians. I pray, Father, for power to comprehend the breadth, the height, the width, the length, the depth of the love of God in Christ. We all need to see the scope and the magnitude of the love of God more than we do now. Because as we consider the context of this verse, we have to remember that this prayer is actually for those who already believe and already know the love of God. And Paul's saying, I pray that you be rooted and grounded in love and that you know the height, the breadth, the length, and the depth of it. So he's praying that for believers. Author A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, talks about the great mystery of our, mystery of our journey with God and that you might define it as we've found him and we need to find him. We know the love of God, and yet we need to know more of the love of God. And like I said, when we looked at the prayer in chapter one, if these solid early church Christians discipled by Paul the apostle himself needed to have their eyes opened to the love of God, so do we. Paul goes on in verse 19, to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Really interesting verse. He talks about this knowledge that surpasses knowledge. What is knowledge that surpasses knowledge? The only way to understand that is if you understand that there are actually two kinds of knowledge. There's academic knowledge and there's experiential knowledge, right? So what is Paul saying here? He's saying that He's praying that we know God's love in a way that surpasses academic knowledge. Then he uses the phrase to describe it, the fullness of God, the fullness of God. There's the title of our message today. This seems to say that though we are fully saved, though we are complete in Christ and our standing is secure in him, there's like this gas tank that we have or level when it comes to our experiencing of it, our experience of it, our experience with God. That we might have the academic knowledge of it, that's you could pass the test, you could get 100 on the test and check all the boxes, and yet you could still lack knowledge. You could lack that experiential knowledge with God. Now, if I'm with my daughter, uh, Audrey, she knows that she's my daughter and that I'm her father and I love her. But if I take her, you know, on on a daddy date and, and I put my arm around her and I give her a kiss on the cheek and I say, I love you. That's a whole different kind of knowing. She already knew all, all the facts about our relationship. I'm his daughter and he's my dad. And, you know, we live in the same house and, and, you know, I I, I get all that. And yet with the embrace and, and the warm words comes a different kind of knowledge, that experiential knowledge. This is what Paul's praying for that we'd know the fullness of God and his love, that we'd know it here. We'd experientially know it, not just academically and give a nod to it, give mental assent to it, but that our hearts would really know it and experience it. And you know as well as I do, some days we're on an empty tank. And you know as well as I do that we drift and we leak. Why else would Paul say later in this book to believers that we should be filled with the spirit if they already had the indwelling spirit of Christ in them? 
the, the verse literally means be ye being consistently and constantly filled. That's what it means. He said that because he knows what we know and we're just talking about that we, we leak. He says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Paul's telling us that there is a fullness of God that we should pray for, for one another and reach for ourselves. Fill us with the fullness of God. Fill us with the life of God. Fill us with the, the spirit of God. Fill us with the knowledge here and here of the love of God. Plant us in that soil. Fill us with dunamis power to do the will of God for our lives and to walk by faith and not by sight. That's Paul's prayer. That you and I would be filled with the fullness of God. And that's how we should pray for one another. And that's what we should pursue in our hearts. And finally, at the end, Paul here transitions from prayer to worship. He shifts from prayer to worship in verse 20 when he says, Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power, there's that dunamis that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Such a welcoming thought, isn't it? That no matter what you pray for or think, Paul says God's able to do far abundantly more, and he will. See, Paul had this view of God that he was a generous father, longing to bless his children who would come to him. It reminds me of this wonderful story of uh, George Mueller's granddaughter. If you don't know who George Mueller is, you should read his biography. He was a great hero of England <clears throat> who established orphanages and was responsible for thousands and thousands of orphanages and so many stories of miracles and faith in his life and very inspiring life. Well, there's a lesser known story about his granddaughter. When Mueller was up in years, he was actually staying in the home of his daughter upstairs and his granddaughter went to her mother downstairs and said, uh, mother, I would like to learn to pray like Grandpa George does. And he gets all these answers to prayer. I, I want to learn how to pray like that. And, and her mother said, well, he, sweetheart, he's right upstairs. Just go up and talk to him. And so the little girl went up. She knocked on the door. And Grandpa George uh, answered the door and said, uh, come in. She peeked her head in and said, uh, Grandpa, uh, mommy said that I should ask you to teach me to pray. I want to learn to pray like you. He said, okay. And he called her over and put her up on his lap and he held her in his arms. And he said, um, so what, what is it that you want? And she said, um, I want, six-year-old girl, I want a dress for my dolly. And he said, um, okay, just put your hands together like this. And she did. He said, repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, oh, Heavenly Father, I pray, I pray that you would give me a blue, uh, give me a dress for my dolly. Give me a dress for my dolly. Amen. Very simple prayer. And he says, well, there you go. She goes, that's it? He says, that's it. And so she was so excited and she hopped off of his lap and started to walk out. And she remembered one small detail that she forgot. And I gave it away a second ago. She peeked back in the door and she said, she looked up and she said, a blue dress, please. And sure enough, a few days later in the mail, in a package, came a blue dress for her dolly from someone who knew nothing of her need and nothing of her prayer requests, a person who just felt moved by God to give it. Now, that little girl became a missionary to China one day, and she would say, it was that day with my grandfather 
that taught me that God is a loving, generous father and that I could go to him with all of my needs and that he would hear my requests. Paul says, to him who's able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. Paul says he's able to do more than you ask or think. And we need to come to God like that. And then Paul uses his favorite phrase and the title of this series to finish this text today. He says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, in him, throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Everything we have, everything we are, starts and ends with Christ. Without the cross, we have no salvation. We have no access to the Father. We have no hope. Because of the cross, we have the glory of God's love on center stage, on display for us and for our hearts. We have the one event that stirs our worship more than anything else, the cross of Jesus Christ and the object of our faith to come to him. Paul says, to him be glory throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. There's something prophetic about that, isn't there? It's like Paul's looking forward and says, let it be throughout all generations. And so literally he's praying, his, his prayer does actually include you and me, tangibly. He's looking toward us. He's looking toward the future of the church. And here we are, one of those future generations fulfilling the prayer and the desire of this apostle. Isn't that amazing? Join me in giving Jesus glory. And the best way to do that is to believe in him and to receive what he's done for you. So to close today, I want to circle back to our text here in Ephesians 3. And I want to repray this prayer in first person together with you. And to help you, we have some slides for you to follow along and pray this prayer over our own hearts, over our own church, over our own family, over our own uh, community of believers. So let's pray in closing. Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, I pray that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.